0: Welcome to The Landscape, your show about the outdoors and America's public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in Denver, where spring can't quite bring itself to stick around for more than a day or two. But that is OK. We desperately need the moisture right now. On the show today, we are going to check in on Deb Holland's first few weeks as Interior Secretary. To say she has hit the ground running would be an understatement. The secretary went to Utah earlier this month, making good on a promise to the state's congressional delegation to visit Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments before making a recommendation to President Biden about whether to restore or expand the monument boundaries that President Trump attempted to shrink. Now, it's worth noting that the tribal nations that originally proposed the Bears Ears National Monument have made it clear they want President Biden to protect all 1.9 million acres of their proposal, not the 1.3 million acres that President Obama protected in 2016. And after that Utah visit, Secretary Holland signed two major secretarial orders that really set the stage for what we what we're going to see from the Interior Department under her leadership. And so joining me to help break down everything in those orders and talk about national monuments and a whole lot more, we have Sharon Buccino. Sharon is the Senior Director of the Land Division at the Natural Resources Defense Council. She's an attorney who works on environmental reviews, public participation, the Freedom of Information Act. She also teaches public lands law. Sharon, welcome to the podcast.
1: It's great to be here, thank you.
0: So let's tackle these secretarial orders in order. The first one's about reversing the legacy of former interior secretary Bernhardt and the Trump administration. That second order creates a new climate task force. So reversing all of these Trump orders, uh, what is covered there and what's the practical effect of it?
1: Sure. Well, it's um, very significant. I think um, I would characterize it in general as saying, you know, in that secretarial order. Um, Interior has really assumed its critical role in addressing catastrophic climate change. And so there was a there were a series um, of actions, secretarial orders that had been issued during the Trump administration um, that in her order, Secretary Hallin reverses. Uh, several of them dealt with fossil fuel extraction, and um, another key component uh, was how we are uh, processing decisions that affect our public lands and the role of environmental review and public participation in those decisions.
0: And then what will be the the practical effect of this order? How, how long will it be? before we see results coming from the way all of the various interior department bureaus do business?
1: Yeah. Well, there will be a few things that will, will happen immediately. And um, one example of that um, is that as a result of secretary Allen's orders, um, hopefully we will see much more meaningful consultation with tribal nations uh, occur. Um, it's interesting to, in this, this, um, the controversy is still going on around um, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the Obama administration, uh, we really saw uh, the federal government seeking and taking action to uh, engage uh, in in a true um, collaborative nation to nation manner with the tribes Um at the end of the Obama administration, you actually have um, a pretty significant action by the solicitor at the Interior Department um, to, to put a hold on that pipeline from going forward. Of course, um, that, that wasn't the result that happened with when, when uh, President Trump was elected and came in, um, but there was a process that was initiated to, to define and develop what, what consultation, nation-to-nation consultation met. And I think we'll see um, this administration and Secretary Howland picking up um, on uh, some of those ideas and where that left off. I'd like to also um, mention uh, coal. Um, and um, one of the orders um, that was revoked by Secretary Howland was Trump's action revoking (laughs) the moratorium that had been put in place. Um, There has been some discussion about, well, does that mean that a moratorium is back in place? Not necessarily, unfortunately, um, because there was language in uh, Sally Jewell's order, putting the moratorium in place that said it would remain effective until revoked. Which Trump did. So it doesn't mean that we go back um, to the Obama and the Jewel order. But what I can say is that I think we will definitely, new coal leasing will definitely receive greater scrutiny. And one key piece of that is that the environmental review that is done for new leasing, for coal leasing, will include a robust analysis um, of the climate change impacts. And so the action that um, Secretary Hallin took, and this was in her second order along with the Climate Task Force, was that she specifically directed the Interior Department to follow its own rules related to NEPA review, which clearly do uh, require considering indirect and cumulative impacts um, when assessing uh, decisions that is proposing to make, uh, like leasing coal.
0: I, I was just about to ask about that with that second order. Is is there a possibility that, that part of that order uh, about NEPA and considering the social cost of greenhouse gases, is that potentially, does that could that have a, a bigger short-term impact than this climate task force itself? That was the headline of the order.
1: Well, it certainly will will have, yes. I mean, it will have immediate impact. I think it was very, very important that she took that action. Um, your listeners may remember that um, uh, President Trump, um, his Council on environmental quality uh, made very significant and devastating changes. I would argue unlawful changes uh, to the regulations that implement the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, But until CEQ acts uh, through new rulemaking um, to change what Trump did, those CEQ regulations are are on the book. They have been challenged in court, uh, but but fundamentally, what matters is the language of NEPA, the statute itself, and how that language has been interpreted in court. And it's very clear that looking at cumulative impacts um, is required in NEPA. It basically goes to the point, but the statute talks about the obligation to future generations and the need to look at long term as well as short term impacts. And you can't do that without looking at cumulative impacts. Impact. So I think the Secretary's direction uh, to do that as part of NEPA analysis. Also, look, the tools, the agencies have robust tools to do this analysis now. Social cost of carbon is an important piece of that. Um, and that's what we need to be doing to ensure that our decisions about f- our federal fossil fuels, in fact, are helping solve uh, and prevent catastrophic climate change rather
0: than fueling it. It sounds like you're saying that while I'm sure everyone has legislative fixes they would love when it comes to climate change or NEPA or FLIPMA or take your pick of the alphabet soup, there is already a strong legal toolkit there for addressing these things, even if Congress doesn't step in and and start taking major action on climate change uh, at the legislative level.
1: I think that's absolutely right. Yes.
0: So I, I just want to touch on the climate task force before we move on. How big a deal is that, both to Interior and the fact that these are happening across other agencies?
1: Right. Well, I think what um, is significant is that what a new administration chooses to create these interagency task force around what it chooses, um, how it chooses to prioritize staffing and issues within the White House, right off the bat is a clear indication of the administration, the Biden administration's agenda. And it is an agenda that is about uh, tackling uh, catastrophic climate change in a meaningful way and significantly uh, uh, recognizing the critical role that land management uh, plays in those climate solutions. So this task force uh, is a big deal. It um, it collects, it's um, going to be led by the, the deputy secretary um, with the assistant secretaries or the, the people who are acting in those roles right now. And um, it is going to ensure that interior plays a meaningful role and contributes what is needed to um uh, what the White House is trying to do across all agencies and ensure that it's not just about EPA, that all agents need to be part of uh, delivering uh, the solutions on climate.
0: In the near term, what else are you hoping to see from the Interior Department in the next, let's say, you know, six to 12 months? What do you hope they accomplish coming out of the starting blocks?
1: Yeah, well, um, a few things. And one does... Um, center around uh, fossil fuels. And I think the forum that they held a few weeks ago now was uh, a fantastic start, Um, not only in terms of some of the specific ideas that were presented in testimony at that forum. They have now um, collected, they they kept the the record of the forum open. Um, I think it was through April fifteenth, and there were some excellent uh, written submissions mm, nice. uh, that were made. Um, and and I would I would put the actions um, in two buckets. Um, one is uh, this um, pause on and, and a halt to new oil and gas leasing, both onshore and offshore, uh, is absolutely. Critical. It is um, legally justified, in my view, Um, and um, uh, we saw actually we saw evidence of it being put in place just today. I think there was an announcement of uh, not moving forward with the uh, lease sale that would uh, normally happen in the second uh, quarter of the year. Um, But the second piece of it um, relates to the drilling permits that are. being um, reviewed mm. and and approved, and there's a critical role there as well um, because the um, it, you know it's important that that there are um, uh, drilling permits that are that are processed. We know that we're not going to turn oil and gas off uh, overnight. Um, one reason why the leasing moratorium makes sense is because there are plenty of permits that can still years be-
0: Years and years and applied, years right? worth as we've covered. Exactly. Here. Yep.
1: Um, but how the administration handles that, the Interior Department handles that is really important. And and there, I would argue, and several others have as well, um, that they need to be looking at the conditions that they can impose, at conditions of approval on those permits. And they need to use those conditions to mitigate not only environmental impacts like impacts to air um, or water, but also um, to mitigate um, uh, greenhouse gas emission impacts. Um, and, they, and, and they can, can do that um, really with this uh, frame of thinking about moving us to or a net zero carbon goal. And they can use uh, conditions on these drilling permits um, as a way of doing that. You know, part of it is addressing uh, the methane mm-hmm. um, and um, there even even after decisions to lease and decisions to drill have been made. It is critically important both to to health and the communities in which this drilling is happening, but also um, to climate change that we do that drilling in a way that really mitigates um, the potential harm that can flow from it.
0: So methane obviously, obviously is the low-hanging fruit there, making sure it's being captured and not flared or, or released off. What other sorts of Conditions could we see ending up in play? Are are these things like carbon offsets, or what? What tools does BLM have at their disposal there?
1: Yeah, I think some certainly some um, creative and and outside of the box thinking needs to happen. This isn't something that's. Um, happened in the BLM space before. But yes, I mean, it is thinking about some carbon offsets. You could even start to think about, and, and they did do this in the context, Interior did this in the context of um, the solar, the programmatic environmental impact uh, assessment uh, statement that was done. They, they were really moving forward with this idea of looking across a landscape, and if and you do need to allow development in certain places, but in allowing that development, think about um, where um, you can do restoration. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. restoration of the rangeland. Um, it could be, um, uh, restoration and forests or wetlands so that you are in fact, and you're in fact, as a part of the privilege of drilling on the public lands, you are having those companies, um, offset, um, and, and pay for, um, uh, carbon sequestration, mm-hmm. um, in other places on the public lands. And that is, is kind of the, the vision or the path of how you get to this near net zero.
0: So there, there, there's some room for, creativity from both industry and and agencies going forward
1: exactly absolutely and the conversations have to happen um among these different interests and that's the other thing that that i um really saw both in um secretary uh hound's executive orders and the way they structured um this um Oil and Gas Forum. First of all, I thought the the diversity of views that were presented um, was was wide and rich and important. Um, and then also, it's pretty clear um, that they are interested. Um, and she did, you know, she demonstrated this by going to Utah and meeting with various interest groups. We have to find. There is a middle ground. Um, mm. We have to find it. Um, and, um, and I think environmental groups like NRDC have a responsibility of participating and engaging in that conversation, you know, but, but so does industry and so does state and local governments. And it has to be with a view of moving forward to something better rather than just kind of grasping with fingernails to, to the past, um, and relying Um, on on the dirty fuels um, of the past and digging our hole deeper we can't we can't afford that anymore
0: you mentioned the secretary's utah trip so let's go ahead and talk about national monuments Uh, chief justice john roberts published a note recently in which he seemed to welcome or even invite a court challenge regarding the antiquities act Possibly looking at the scope of presidential powers under that law. Are you worried that that note may have been a shot across President Biden's bow regarding bear's ears and grand staircase? or what what's your read on that?
1: Yeah, well, first of all the the result uh, the decision in that case was a good one. It actually related to um, a challenge that that the fish commercial fishermen had brought to. The Marine Monument at issue, the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts, and the the Supreme Court chose not to hear the case, and and both the D.C. Circuit and the District Court had um, upheld the validity of uh, President Obama acting under the Antiquities Act to create those monuments. Now, you're right that. Um, Chief Justice Roberts chose to write a note that went along with that decision, not to hear the case, and and I was very disappointed actually in him because he he really hadn't done his legal research, and you know, and as a as a lawyer, I really I'd like to be able to look to the Supreme Court and see the people on it as kind of the epitome of the legal profession, but but I'm sorry, um, he, his action did not represent that. <laughs> Um, And I'll tell you why, Um, you know, the the issues that he identified about how the Antiquities Act has been used about both the kinds of objects that can be protected and, and the size of the monument needed for their proper care. Those are not new issues. Courts actually have addressed those issues several times. On in the, the Grand past,
0: Canyon, I mean, one of the original right. uses, there was a court Absolutely. case confirming that eight hundred thousand acres was was a valid use, right there. And, yeah, there, there's case law And the there.
1: chief just not <laughs> acknowledge any of that. He didn't do his research, and and in fact, there is no court opinion. At any level that has found and enforced limits on the president's power under the Antiquities Act, as you know, as you suggested, the decisions go back a century and um, they and, uh, you know, a firm, um, it was, yeah, Theodore Roosevelt who created the Grand Canyon Monument. And, and the court rejected the claim that the Antiquities Act did not justify creation of it, despite its large size. Um, so I think that um, uh, he, I, you know... Not only was it a little bit unusual to add that note, but if he was going to do it, then he needed to do his legal research before.
0: In terms of, yeah, in terms of legal footing on the court cases challenging President Trump's attempt to eviscerate Bears Ears and Grand Staircase, those cases are still waiting on a judge's ruling on summary judgment. Uh, The case is, you know, nowhere even close to trial if it's going to get there. Is there a case to be made to President Biden that he should at least wait until that summary judgment ruling comes down, which would potentially make any action of his going forward on on Bears and Grand Staircase moot? Or is there not a downside to just saying, no, we need to protect these lands now?
1: Yeah. So actually, so that would be one path forward. But actually what has happened is that the Justice Department and the plaintiffs in those cases. So so there's a case related to Bears Ears and then a case related to Grand Staircase. They are both uh, consolidated and being heard before the same federal judge in Washington, D.C., um, but but the Justice Department asked that that case, those cases be stayed. And so, in fact, uh, that case is not moving forward. And the reason they did so was because the Biden administration uh, wanted the time, wanted a little bit of time to decide what it, to do. Um, and so it actually makes, action by the Biden administration, uh, you know, quick action, pretty important. Um, and, and so um, you have various groups involved uh, strongly making the case that um, a, a new proclamation uh, reestablishing, returning those two monuments to their previous glory um, is essential and, um, you know, should be done quickly. Um, by President Biden. Now, in the meantime, is the question about you know how they are managed and, and what happens. Now, Trump, President Trump and his agencies, both the Bureau of Land Management and the Forest Service are involved. They did go ahead and pretty quickly get some management plans in place for Trump's new monuments. Um, but bottom line, Um, You know, the Secretary Howland has responsibility for, you know, protecting those lands. And so she and she should and she can look to um, the five tribes who are behind the proposal, say for Bears Ears, um, and use their advice and use their wisdom and experience to help manage uh, those lands, those lands that really were part of the original proposal. Um, so that's what I would suggest that she do in the meantime. The full, full 1.9 million acres yeah. to make
0: that clear. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I mean she's got you know she's got discretion how she manages those lands. NRDC is definitely following the tribe's lead on what the appropriate size should be. Um, but but I should be clear that 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 quick um, and complete action by President. Biden to restore the two monuments uh, is is critically important.
0: Senator Mitt Romney and the governor of Utah are calling for a slowdown, calling for a legislative solution. Of course, we've seen this song and dance before going back to Rob Bishop's public lands initiative five years ago, which he kept promising was going to be the grand bargain and just fell flat on its face. Is there any indication to you that this time is different could there be legislation that gets everyone to the table or are there are there any good faith actors in the utah delegation at all
1: well i lived through that um those efforts which it first started um i think in a sincere way to come together um, around some kind of solution and actually in you know i think it was 2019 the summer of 2019 There was, it now is called um, the Dingle Conservation Act, but there was legislation passed by Congress um, in overwhelming numbers that included um, a pretty large package of wilderness in Utah. It was not land related to um, Bears Ears. But unfortunately, uh, in the Bears Ears geography, the attempts that um, have been made in the past, um, as they played out, were not sincere and did not result um, in any kind of resolution. And that is, in fact, why Secretary Jewell and President Obama acted when they did. Um, I don't see anything meaningful um, on the ground um, to justify um, kind of reopening, I I really just see it as a delaying tactic. Mm. And the fact is, um, there are, as Obama's eloquent proclamation for Bears Ears articulates, there are very compelling reasons for protecting that landscape now. And that's what President Biden should do through a proclamation.
0: You cover a, a very broad portfolio of issues at NRDC, everything from oil and gas reform to, to wilderness and wildlife conservation. What are some of the other urgent items on your agenda uh, with the start of the new administration that we haven't touched on yet?
1: Yeah. So I I direct the lands division. And so we do have um, a number of people working on different issues. We are very focused right now on, um, on how um, our public lands uh, play into solving the climate crisis. And so for us, that is for NRDC and our lands division right now, it is very focused on management of uh, federal fossil fuels, and then also uh, natural climate solutions, and and this is where um, The President's uh, 30 by 30 initiative comes in. Uh, For me, that is a very um, exciting uh, agenda to protect um, 30% of the lands, uh, of our nation's lands, oceans, and inland waters. It fits into um, an international um, initiative that's really, you know, clearly gaining significant momentum, that international initiative started several years ago. Um, I I was first introduced to it when I read E.O. Wilson's book, Half Earth, which I find very, very compelling, uh, that if we're going to have a hope of preserving the natural systems on which all life depends, we have to be giving, what, what E.O. Wilson says is, we have to give half the earth to nature. Now, that's not like half the earth becomes wilderness areas. <laughs> um, and some people have criticized it for justice as, as an agenda as something, you know, a, the hidden agenda of locking everything up. Right, right, and right, the,
0: my, the land grab nonsense that we've it, seen. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it's very much about um, bringing diverse interests into this goal of conservation. And some of that conservation um, happens on private lands. Some of it happens on state and local lands, but but the reality is that that it's not about shutting people out of nature but it's it's bringing people into nature and to the effort to conserve nature in a way that allows us really to you know to save ourselves because it is those natural systems and for me and for NRDC this goes back to the mission that NRDC was founded on which was about protecting these natural systems upon which all life depends. And so this agenda um, is very exciting uh, for me. We It was part of the president's first, uh, one of his first executive orders, I think really within a week, the first week he, after he was inaugurated and he has set out, he's asked Interior to deliver a report to him, to the White House, um, which is due any day I was going to say, in the the next
0: couple of weeks, I believe.
1: I'm not sure if that report will be published or or public, but uh, what I do anticipate is that it will initiate a very uh, clear process for stakeholder engagement, again, like the Federal Fossil Fuel Forum, to collect specific ideas, which will be ideas from landowners. It will be ideas from tribes. It will be ideas from states, hopefully, and also national environmental groups um, about how you how you do this conservation. And part of it is protected areas, but part of it is policies and incentives that encourage the conservation um, by other players like the states and local governments and landowners.
0: I asked you earlier about short term goals, but I want to ask you to look ahead. Uh, imagine three and a half years from now, the tail end of uh, the first uh, first Biden term. What does a successful Biden administration look like three and a half years from now?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, great question, and I'll and I will answer that. But I but I've got to share because it's relevant. Um, just in a, the experience I had and the emotions that it generated to. To watch and listen to uh, Secretary Deborah Howland speak from the Secretary's office as um, a Native American woman, I didn't anticipate that it would have such an effect on mm, me. But yeah. she she kicked off um, this federal fossil fuel forum at you know at which I had the chance to testify and and to see her. <laughs> Speaking from the secretary's office, you know, a room that I had sat in before, it, it just felt, it really filled me with hope that we could get to a place um, where we were, we were living up in the interior department as a nation, we were living up to the promises that are built in to our land management statutes, like the federal land, um, uh, Policy and Management Act, like NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, these this promise um, that um, we, will, we will protect these lands to enjoy today, but also for future generations. And so I think we have the most success in doing that, and we have a reinvigorated uh, opportunity for success in being able to incorporate the Indigenous um, wisdom and perspective and experience that Secretary Hallin represents, the person that she um, has that the president has nominated for the top lawyer, the solicitor Bob Anderson., the yep. Yep. Bob Anderson, He is Native American. And I've also heard that Secretary Hallen has chosen a Native American, Larry Roberts, to be her chief of staff. Um, and so I think they really um, bring a critical perspective to the leadership of uh, interior to take us to a place that is looking at the lands um, in a more uh, holistic, um, in, a, in a more uh, hopeful and in a more uh, balanced way. But it's got, got she's also very serious um, about uh, looking at the federal fossil fuels and managing in them in a way that makes sense for the long term and future generations and not just uh, for the profits of a few who are extracting those resources today.
0: I wonder if I, you could talk a little more then about how that experience, the lived experience of having a number of native Americans at the top of the interior department, how does that infuse itself into an agency with 70,000 people? And maybe Mm -hmm. that gets back to my "what does it look like three and a half years from now?" question of you know what 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 does success look like given given this uh, this leadership we have never seen uh, at Interior uh, with with a number of of Indigenous Americans uh, running the show. Finally,
1: yeah. Well, I I cannot um, speak uh, for for the tribes um, or the um, Indigenous uh, voices. But what I can say, as somebody who has been engaged um, in the public land management issues really well for almost 30 years now, um, that I, look, we we haven't, what we've used to date has not given us the solutions mm-hmm. um, that we need. And so and it's hard. I mean, the task before her is hard. It's not like um, she's going to be able to, you know, turn this Titanic, this a large um, agency, on a dime. But I, I guess what I think is one of the most powerful things, and why I'm hopeful, is that I think both in the way she interacts with people and the perspective that she brings from her lived experience and the people and the experience of the people that she has surrounded herself with. She's made very smart choices about the people that uh, she is bringing on to work with her, that I think that that her leadership um, uh, excites people and will bring people on, and I think hopefully because she listens to other perspectives and she incorporates it into her thinking, um, I'm I'm hopeful that that will help accomplish the change that's needed, it will help build back up an agency that really has been devastated from the inside out, um, just in terms of personnel um, and resources, Um, but that will bring people together and bring people together outside of the agency um, toward um, a a vision that is a vision about uh, shared prosperity, um, and a vision that includes um, preserving this unique um, natural heritage that we have in our public lands um, as something essential to uh, what it means to be American and what it's is special um, about this nation.
0: Last question, Your career with NRDC has been most of the time in Washington, DC, except you have recently moved, to Wyoming. And uh, you're based out of Laramie now, is that right? That's correct. So mm-hmm. how, how has that move changed your perspective on your job and, and American lands?
1: Yeah. Well, it was a move that was intentional because I felt like, um, and I've always felt doing the work in Washington, that it must be informed um, by um Views and experiences on the ground in the West. So even while working in Washington, I made it a regular habit to get out of Washington to the to the West. But when I couldn't, to make sure I was talking with and building relationships with people who are on the ground in the West. But but I was very intentional in coming um, to Wyoming to work on the ground for a while. Now that that both my daughters are in college and kind of off on their own I had a little bit more flexibility to do that and I and I think it is easier and I've already found that it's easier to have the conversations that need to happen um, when you're having the conversations with people in your community and and too often unfortunately in Washington you're you're forced to the corners I mean there's a lot of posturing that gets in the way of of real collaborative conversation. And so um, I I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of challenges that a state like Wyoming faces right now in transitioning uh, to a different energy economy, but I think by listening and understanding the impacts and the consequences of that transition and addressing them that's the way that we're going to move forward. So I'm excited um, to be here and to be part of that conversation and um, and to get out to some of the special places that uh, are close by.
0: All right. Sharon Buccino, Senior Director of the Land Division at the Natural Resources Defense Council. Thank you so much for all of your insight. This has been a, a very informative podcast. Really appreciate it. That will do it for this episode of The Landscape. I want to end this on a personal note. Uh, Some of you know I have been out sick this month recovering from COVID. I somehow got it 72 hours before I was supposed to get my first shot, and this month has been a heck of a journey with some some quality time in the hospital. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who reached out with your kind words, thoughts, and prayers, uh, especially while I was in the hospital a couple weeks ago. It does mean so much to me. Uh, it looks like one of those cases that uh, I'm going to have a bit of a long haul getting my lungs all the way back, but otherwise, I am doing very well right now. So, thank you all. Know how much I appreciate all of you. And please, above all else, get vaccinated as soon as you can. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Please keep that feedback coming. Podcast at westernpriorities.org or I am A Weiss on Twitter. Again, I'm Aaron Weiss. Huge thanks to the whole team at the Center for Western Priorities for picking up the slack during my absence. And thanks again to Sharon Pacino for joining me today. It is great to be back.